Great news, guys. We have partnered with the good folks over at moonwalker.com. And Moonwalker is one of our favorite CBD companies that offer a wide variety of products. Those include Delta 8, CBD, HHC, CBN, CBG, and many, many more. Moonwalker has become the industry leader in Delta 8 and CBD products, pushing the boundaries of what is truly possible with hemp. By combining award-winning terpenes and natural flavors in unique custom blends, they explore new dimensions of taste, balance, and euphoria for all cannabinoids. Moonwalker offers tincture, gummies, vape cartridges, disposal vapes, and much, much more. I personally take the full-spectrum CBD at 750 milligrams of CBD and have completely left my anxiety prescription in the cabinet. Anyone who listens to our show knows that we are teachers during the day and would not endorse something that would put us or our listeners in jeopardy when it comes to testing. If you are interested in supporting us, and this great company, head over to moonwalker.com and use affiliate code MBRUISE. That is M-O-O-N-W-L-K-R.com, and the affiliate code is M-B-R-E-W-S. If you have any questions or concerns about the legality of CBD, Delta 8, or any of Moonwalker's other products, please visit moonwalker.com backslash pages backslash legal. Enjoy the ride. On January 19th, 2001, a fire breaks out on an off-campus apartment at the University of Georgia, Athens. Well, police discover the body of a 24-year-old woman dead. There have been no suspects identified, and what truly happened remains a mystery. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Tara Baker. Somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Well, we had a little bit of feedback on our... Uh, yeah, your new little catchphrase caught on pretty good. Yep, it did. On Patreon, Amanda Iverson stated, Pretty sure crimes against nature include consensual homosexual sex. Dot, dot, dot. You know, the South. She said, you know, the South. Dude, you committed so many crimes against nature in college. We were supposed to keep that under wraps there, Slappy. I mean, I know it was just a phase, but come on. <laughs> she even gives the uh, law code for Louisiana that states such. So there you go. 
We also want to welcome our newest patron, Miss Dana Smith at the $10 tier. Welcome, Miss Dana. Appreciate you, appreciate you, appreciate you. All right, Coach, you got anything else? Oh, you know I don't. Well, deuces. deuces. Join us next week. <laughs> well, we're going to start this one off in the great city of Athens, Georgia. Well, this is a user request, yes, a sir. listener request. It is. So just so you know, people, if you make a request, we will do it. We bump her up. Eventually. We bump her up to the front. All right. Good news is this, I guess, good. Well, it's not really good news. I have found more information on cases in other states than I have this one. And this one happened in our home state. And we could do an Athens section because there's a lot of unsolved murders in the classic city. Yep. That's, that's, that's just how it goes when you got a terrible school, when you got a terrible college, it's a terrible city, you know. They just don't, I mean, people just flock to you like flies did, on shit. Did you see the proposal for the new pods for SEC? Like they're going to do, when Oklahoma and Texas join, they're going to do 14 pods. And like Tennessee is going to be with Florida, Alabama, and uh, no, 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 uh, Alabama, Vanderbilt, and someone else, and they're not going to be playing Georgia every year. See, and that's ridiculous. They should just go ahead and realign the damn conference, no out-of-conference games. And I know that that's not kosher, but I'm tired of some of these teams playing Sister Mary of the Week the week before they play an in-state rival or a conference rival. And I know that that kind of handicaps – the small schools, because that's a huge payday when they play one of those schools. But come on, people. Well, if you truly make it Eastern and Western, you'd have to move Missouri to the West and move Auburn and Alabama to the East because they're the furthest East. And that would suck for the. <laughs> it sure would suck for the East. But I mean, I can't wait for Texas to come in because I got think they're going to have a rude awakening. But we'll see. All right, ladies and gents, we are going to start this one off. Tara Louise Baker was born on January 20th, 1977, to Virginia Baker. Tara's father was in and out of the family picture for most of Tara's young life. Tara was born a very bright child. She began walking at nine months and reading at three years. When she was 10 years old, Virginia remarried to a man named Lindsay Baker. Lindsay was described by Virginia as the kindest man she had ever met and raised Tara as if she were his own. Ultimately adopting Tara, Tara would have three younger siblings, Meredith, Adam, and Kevin, join her in the home. She attended Kemp Elementary School, Mundy's Mill, and Lovejoy Middle Schools, where she was active in many student functions and the band. Adam would recall that Tara was always the mediator when it came to the other three children's disagreements. She would sit them down and have them calmly talk it out and explain each child's point of view. This instilled a love for law and criminal justice in Adam at a young age. Now, while attending Lovejoy High School, Tara was selected Most Outstanding Social Science Student and Most Outstanding Foreign Language Student in the same year. She also finished third in the state high school foreign language competition. Upon her graduation in 1995, Tara received the Hope Scholarship and enrolled in the Georgia State University. There, she was active in student government as well as being an officer in the Alpha Delta Pi sorority. At this time, Tara was centennial debutante for the children of the American Revolution. 
Terre was a member of the Augustine-Clayton County chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution, as well as the past president of the Button Gwinnett Society of the Children of the American Revolution. <laughs> All right. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I didn't know existed, but she was a part of it. Tara graduated cum laude in 1998 with degrees in both political science and paralegal services and took a position with Hancock and Eccles in Forest Park, Georgia. There, she worked diligently to further her law career and ultimately moved to Athens in 1999 and served with Fortson and Bentley until her acceptance in the UGA Law School, where she served as a student senator. She had just completed her first semester and was enjoying her paralegal position at Fortson and Bentley. Virginia would fall ill in 1997, and Tara would have to move back to Lovejoy to help with her siblings, as well as helping her father with his business, which was a funeral home. Tara was selfless and was always putting others before herself. One evening, her friends insisted that she take some time for herself and join them as they were heading out to go dancing. Reluctantly, she agreed, and while out that night, she met a biology and chemistry student named Chris. They had known each other through other friends, but had not been able to properly meet. They both fell in love almost instantly. Upon graduating from Georgia State, Tara was accepted into the University of Georgia's law school. Chris, on the other hand, had plans of settling down and starting a family, and some say felt a little miffed that Tara was not interested in that life and wanted to establish her career as a lawyer before she even would entertain beginning a family. Now, Chris and Tara decided to break up and pursue their chosen paths. However, just like most saps, Chris realized that he had let the one go. And he went back groveling and knew and told Tara that she was the love of his life. Now, by trade, Chris was a plumber, and when Tara would have a free weekend, the couple would shop for antiques. Chris was very good at restoring old furniture and refurbishing things to make them work again. So every Friday, one of Tara's classmates would dress in a three-piece suit to ask Tara out. She would politely decline and explain that she had a boyfriend. I mean, a three-piece suit, that's kind of... I mean, I'm sure the first time it was sweet, but then it just probably got creepy. Yeah. Now, it did not matter to Dapper Dan that she had a boyfriend, and every Friday, without fail, in his three-piece suit, he would once again ask Tara out. Now, other students would say that this young man was a little odd and overly friendly. Tara would state that she felt sorry for him, always being friend-zoned by other female classmates, but they would state that they got an odd and strange vibe from old Dapper Don. One day during a lecture about a case study from a sexual assault allegation, when Dapper Don was asked about his opinion on the case, he stated that he felt like the woman in the case study was, quote, asking for it because she was wearing revealing clothes. You've been friend-zoned, buddy. You don't need to double down. Yeah. That's not how you get out of there. No, 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 no. That uh, is... Pushing if, harder. If anything, that puts you in friend-zoned jail. This is a surefire way to make sure that you are looked at in an even stranger light. When Tara began classes at UGA, she would also begin a new paralegal position at Fortson and Bentley. 
Her new boss, who remains unnamed to this day, was said to be a graduate from a top five university. And for those of you not up on your Ivy League schools, this means that he graduated from either Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Columbia, or Pennsylvania University, home of the Quakers. (laughs) (laughs) One of the youngest attorneys in the office, Tara's boss, told the other female employees at the firm that they should refer to him as, quote, your majesty or king, end quote. I don't know about you, but that sounds some alarms that this guy's a walking douchebag. And he was such a douchebag that he was forbidden to attend any after-work party that females might be present at. You may be asking yourself, self, why would that happen? Well, he had had an affair with a female colleague just a year prior. His wife would later tell that when he would go out for, quote, drinks after work, old David Douchebag would get crazy and enjoy some Coke. And we're not talking about Coke Zero. We're talking about the Colombian Bam Bam variety. Ooh. He let it snow in Athens, and it didn't even have winter in the mix. Now, it is discovered that Tara and old David Douchebag did email back and forth while she was employed at the firm. Their relationship is questionable at best, but since old Douchebag Dave had some money, he is above the inquisitions that normal people would have been put through. Colleagues of Tara's at the firm vehemently state that the relationship between Tara and old David Douchebag was strictly a business friendship. Now, you don't know for a fact that he was a douchebag. You're making clear. Oh, I'm biased as hell because if you. Unsubstantiated accusations. I don't know there, bub. If you tell any female that you work with that they shouldn't refer to you as your majesty or king. I'm pretty sure that gets you a front seat in the old douchebag canoe. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Tara was not a naive young law student. She was said to be very in tune with her surroundings and would always tell her friends to always walk in groups and call when they arrived home. Tara's mom, Virginia, stated that Tara would always make sure her car doors were locked while driving. And when she and her friend Ashley moved into an off-campus apartment, she made it clear that neither of them should ever answer the door to a stranger. Having listened to and discussed more unsightly law cases, she would tell her mom that she was looking to become a real estate lawyer and even nicknamed it the Happy Law Degree. So on Wednesday, January 16, 2001, Tara came home from class and called her mother to catch up. She explained that there were some classmates and one in particular that was quote, a little too close for comfort, end quote, but she would handle it herself. She also told her mom that there was a colleague that was showing some interest, but she was still very much in love with Chris. So we have now Thursday, January 18th, 2001, Tara went to her classes and then picked up some groceries. When interviewed, the clerk stated that it appeared that she would be cooking a meal for two or more people. That's a uh, very in tune with his surroundings clerk, I would say. She would drop the groceries off at her apartment and meet up with two of her friends, Katie and Eugenia, at the campus library. Girls would often study together, and Katie stated that her and Eugenia would usually leave around 7 p.m. to go visit the old college bar scene. 
Tara, on the other hand, would usually stay at the library studying until it closed. And this is up for debate. I have seen as late as midnight, as early as 10 p.m. Either way, Tara is burning the midnight oil to make sure that she gets her law degree. Yeah, I'm fairly sure law a law degree is fairly hard to get. You're gonna have to work real hard. Yes, for I that. Agree. It's probably not gonna come quite easily if you are at the bar in Athens on a random Thursday night being sprayed by champagne. Not that I have any dealings with such an event, but I've heard about it. Now, Ashley would be away for the night, so Tara had the apartment all to herself. Upon arriving home, Tara realizes real quickly that she had not heard from Katie. She decided to call and give Katie the old what fur. That was, are you home safe? I told you to call me. Why the hell did you not call me? After this call, she phones a female colleague at the law office, but the colleague never picked up. This would be the last known action that Tara Baker is known to have completed. So we now get to Friday, January 19th, 2001. As classes begin, people realize that Tara is not there. They didn't think too much about it because they just figured she was taking the day to prepare for her birthday outing at the local bar scene. What did alarm the friends was that she was not answering their texts or calls. When her friends arrive at the bar to begin the celebration with the birthday girl, they quickly realize that Tara is missing. Calling her cell and landline to no avail, a sense of dread creeps into the subconscious of her friends. Now, this behavior was not like Tara at all. She had been constantly talking about this night for weeks. Because this was just one day removed from her 24th birthday. Tara's sister Meredith remembers the day vividly. She was 15 and her mom, Virginia, had picked her up from school so that they would go to the local Publix on the way home to get some things to celebrate Tara's 24th birthday that weekend. When the pair arrive at home, they begin putting the groceries away and Meredith makes herself a bowl of cereal. It is at this time the phone rings. Virginia answers and Meredith instantly knows something is wrong. Virginia is asked by some unnamed person with either campus police or Athens Clark County police if, quote, her daughter has ever been arrested or had her fingerprints taken, end quote. After hanging up, Virginia tells Meredith, quote, there was a fire at your sister's house and her car is outside the home. Meredith said that her and her mom went into irrational mode and began frantically cleaning their house. The phone would ring a second time, and this time police let Virginia know that, unfortunately, Tara was found deceased in the house. Meredith told Medium.com that, quote, At that moment, I ran out the door. It was raining, and I wasn't thinking. I was just running around our backyard screaming. I was sitting on our swing set, staring at our pool house, where Tara lived, in between college and law school, and I just started thinking about all the things I'd done to her as a pesky little sister and just started apologizing profusely. End quote. Tara's mom, father, and Meredith would head to the athens Clark County Police Department where they were ushered into a conference room. There, authorities explained to the family that they suspect foul play. Now, firefighters were the first on the scene when they responded to a fire at the Eastside home at 160 Fawn Drive off of Lexington Road. Now, witnesses reported seeing a white man in a T-shirt and jeans run from Tara's backyard that morning around 7 a.m. before the fire was reported. Unfortunately, 
Tara had been beaten, stabbed, strangled, mutilated, and possibly sexually assaulted before her killer set her on fire in the home. So senseless, man. That's a lot of cruelty involved right there. Yes. Now, authorities stated that with Tara's laptop missing, it gave them the indication that she may have known her killer. Now, the crime scene was compromised from the beginning since it was originally a structure fire called to 911. More than 12 firefighters had walked through the house. This, along with fire hoses, water damage, and the soot from the fire made the scene forensically barren. Now, one of the firemen in the house stated that the cause of the fire was a sheet placed over the oven's burner, which was then set on high to help spread the fire. Now, depending on which way you see this next act, will determine whether or not we are talking incompetence or gross negligence. Same fireman in question reaches down and cuts the eye on the stove off. While not a very bright move, it is understandable if the flame was still on. His next move will cement his intellectual ability for everyone listening. Old Fire Marshal Bill reaches back down and turns... <laughs> the eye back on just in case it's a crime scene. So I would assume, and you know how that goes, that we have cut the gas off to the house and he's just turning it back the way he found it. But we will never know. So remember, Tara's mother, Virginia, receives a phone call stating that there had been a fire at her daughter's home around 4 or 4.30 p.m. Firefighters discover Tara as they are putting the blaze out six hours earlier. Now, this begs the question, why wait six hours to notify the next of kin? Well, a partial answer to this is, remember Tara's roommate, Ashley? Well, she has not been located by the time police and firemen arrive at the home. That's a little suspicious. Just a tad. Now, this would lead you to believe that authorities were attempting to ID the body and did not want to give the wrong parent the worst news in the world, which is understandable, but at the same time, why wait six hours? But anyway. Well, again, they haven't identified her. I mean, they, if they haven't found the roommate, they can't specifically say who it is because they've been burned. True. True that. True that. Now, in a bizarre twist of events, Tara's boyfriend, Chris, is picked up and asked to identify the body authorities had discovered in the home. Chris is told that if he didn't do it, then they would have to have Virginia Baker do it. Chris decided to man up and do the unthinkable so that Virginia would not have that picture of her daughter etched in her mind. As authorities are taking Chris to ID the body, he realizes they are not headed to the morgue. They are actually headed to Tara's home. Authorities had not removed the body from the house. As detectives are marching Chris to the front of the house, the actual fire marshal has to remind the police officers that the home is an active yet compromised crime scene and Chris cannot come in. Again, incompetence or negligence? You choose. In a light bulb moment, Chris is taken back to the patrol car and within a few moments, a photo of the body inside the home is given to him. He quickly realizes that it is, in fact, Tara's body that he is looking at by the fact that he notices that it is Tara's bedroom where the body is lying, and he can see some of the antiques that he and Tara had purchased previously. 
The other distinguishing characteristic that led Chris to know that it was Tara without a doubt was that he could see the diamond earrings that he had previously given her lying next to the head of the burnt body. That's terrible. It is, man. This I would I mean that's just that's freaking terrible. Kudos to him for manning up and trying to make sure that her mom didn't have to ID the body in that situation so that she has a good memory of her daughter. But man, I would hate to be in his position. So no official cause of death has been released to the public. And I mean, as of today, the only known time of death was determined by a clock that was supposedly broken when the fire started. And it's not referenced on whether or not this clock was burnt and it stopped the time or if it fell off the wall, off of wherever and broke at the time of a struggle. Now, the clock is rumored to have read sometime between 10 and 11 a.m. Now, remember that there was a witness that stated they had seen a white male in a white T-shirt and jeans running from the backyard. Yeah, that little news nugget of information was not released to the public for two years. There has never been a composite sketch made of this man. And when Virginia asked authorities if the area around the apartment had been searched for clues or possible footprints, she was laughed at and told that she had watched too many episodes of CSI. Oh, good Lord. Do what? Uh, I mean, it's a well-known fact that it was raining that day and had rained the previous evening and even Amber Heard's attorneys would know that you needed to look for footprints. Amber Turd. Amber Turd. <laughs> <laughs> the culprit of the most expensive shit in the world. Seriously. Now, Virginia would go on to tell about how another lead was not followed up on either. The night before her body was discovered, some male had called UGA's student directory line asking for Tara's number. Now, this is not what you would expect it to be. It's actually, you can, at the time, now I'm pretty sure it's automated now, but at the time you actually got a real life human being and you could say, hey, I'm looking for so-and-so. Can you give me their dorm number, whatever, whatever. But whoever had called, I don't know the circumstances, but it's rumored that the person Manning the phone that night was kind of like, had a strange vibe and was like, uh, she lives off campus and I have no record of that. That may be something that could have been followed up on, but we'll never know. Ten years after Tara's murder, her parents had still not been given a death certificate. It took then-Governor Nathan Deal to step in and, quote, persuade authorities to issue the death certificate. The way it was first spun to Tara's family was that if they released the death certificate, then everyone would know her cause of death. As it was, unreleased, only the unsub would know. Now, this is all fine and dandy, but you list the cause of death as homicide. You don't just not release the damn death certificate. Now, while you may be telling yourself that you understand the police's stance on this, keep in mind that by not classifying Tara as deceased, her information was still out there. There were people who were stealing her identity, her social security number, opening fraudulent accounts in her name, you name it. And since her last known address was her parents' home, 
creditors, bill collectors, etc., would call seeking payment and the family would have to explain that their daughter had been brutally murdered. This made the emotions of losing a daughter and a sister raw, to say the very least. Now, famed forensic scientist Henry Lee offered his assistance pro bono, but was told that he could work on Tara Baker's case as long as he kept all of his findings confidential between himself and the athens Clark County Police Department. The department has regularly turned down offers by other law enforcement agencies to look into the case as well. wonder why that, what, what's, what's that about? I don't know. That's, you would think they'd want all the help they could get. It's been unsolved for 21 years. You'd think they'd reach out to somebody, get some new eyes on it. This rivals Rebecca Gould's case when uh, Jen Buchholz was able to persuade that committee of retired uh, professionals that deal with homicide all the time and Arkansas State Police and Arkansas State Attorney General is like, nah, we got this. No, you don't. And I don't understand that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I could go off on a whole tangent of why that's just ridiculous. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I wanted to improve my gut health. I needed more energy. I wanted to optimize my immune system and I despise taking vitamins. So I've been on it for about five weeks and it's pretty good. I, it doesn't taste like a super healthy green smoothie. It has a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to. You know, it's it, it's very good. It's 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens. It helps start your day off right. And it's a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy recovery, you name it. Now, I usually take it in the mornings and right after I have my coffee. And then I've noticed that my digestion has gotten more regulated. My energy levels are up. I would say the taste is more like a coconut, but some people say that it's more like a mango. But I've had my wife try it. She loves it. And I always make sure that I have it when I travel. It is lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still having a great taste. It supports better sleep quality and recovery, and it also supports mental clarity and alertness. It's the one thing with the best things. Athletic Greens use the best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. The price is going to cost you less than $3 a day. And it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself and you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes. And Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recovery. It cost him $100 a day. So he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. It is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. And for every purchase, we donate to organizations helping to get nutritious foods to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. And in 2020, Athletic Greens donated over 1.2 million meals to kids 
Right now is the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash emerging. That's E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. But anyway, all right, so we get to theories. One of the main theories, and this is really not a theory, this is pretty much a fact, is that Tara knew her attacker because there was no sign of forced entry and rumors are that the unsub used what was in the house to actually commit the murder. Now, this would lead you to believe that this was a crime of passion and the unsub flew into a fit of rage while meeting with Tara. Another item that points towards Tara knowing her assailant is that the laptop was the only thing taken from the house. This leads you to believe that there was either email, chats, or something electronically that would have tied the unsub back to Tara. Now, according to some posts on Reddit and Web Sleuths, Tara did have some evidence under her fingernails. Whether it was viable DNA remains to be seen. Now we get to the suspects. And the first one, and God love him, we all know who the first one is in any murder, and that is the significant other. And poor Chris happened to be the starting point for the investigation. While they did break up briefly, Chris had a rock-solid alibi that was confirmed by several people, and he passed a polygraph. And we all know that that's not a very smart move there, Chris. And if you don't think that's a very smart move, we have a new sponsor. And take a listen to this. If you happen to find yourself in an interrogation room and someone offers you to clear your name by taking a polygraph, tell them, as the coach says, lawyer. The next thing you should say is contact my lawyer, Spanky Fuckknuckle. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Spanky Fuckknuckle, defense attorney, will come to you and we will defend you to the fullest. Thank you, Spanky, for uh, supporting the... Man, you had me all excited. I was like, man, we got a new sponsor. Hell yeah, we're going to get paid. <laughs> Come on, man. You can't do that to me. <laughs> all right, so Chris is... Uh, he's sent on his merry way. He's he's clear. I mean, they have checked him off the, the old box. So now we look at the old mystery suitor, as I like to call him, Dapper Dan. Now, authorities believe that he was involved so much that they asked Tara's friends to actually tell him and report back to the police what they had witnessed. They would even ask her fellow classmates to snoop into his backpack if he left it unattended. Jesus. Yeah, let's just commit, you know. I know. Let's just commit a crime. Let's, let's encourage kids to commit crimes by prowling through someone else's property. None of that shit would have ever been allowed in a court of law. Ever. No, not at all. It's like, well, his classmate found a knife. <laughs> Bloody. And her panties wrapped around it. Dismissed. But anyway, all right. So on the day of Tara's death, old Dapper Don comes to class with a large cut on his hand that he could not or would not explain. 
Virginia Baker always suspected Dapper Dan on the fact that he made Tara so uncomfortable any time she discussed him to her mom. Virginia would tell reporters and authorities that just a couple of days before Tara's murder, Tara had told her mom that Dapper Dan had gotten out of hand, but she was going to handle the situation. He is the only suspect that attended the University of Georgia Law School, and he would have known about the student directory. Next on the old suspect list is the law partner, David Douchebag. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't put suspects' names in the press. I just get to make up shit. <laughs> Man, you're going to get sued, dude. No. They're going to hear this? They're going to sue for libel? Really? Slander? How are they going to sue the if you're is? unnamed? I'm just making up names. Douchebag rhymes. for slander, bro. Douchebag rhymes with David. That's probably not his real name. Don is nowhere near. Old three-piece suit boy's name, so y'all come get my student loan debts, all I can tell you. Now, while he was known for being a, a douchebag and inappropriate at times, Tara's colleagues would state that Tara always laughed it off and did not give it much thought. On the day of the murder, he did not show up to work, and when he did return, he gave no explanation as to why he had missed. Got Dapper Dan's got a cut on his hand that he won't explain. David Douchebag didn't show up to work. Could they be in cahoots? Could be, Robert. Could be. Well, I mean, if one of the it's it's very crazy to think if 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 one of them was responsible that both of those occurrences happened though. He would probably know it would probably know of each other, especially old douchebag law partner, because I'm sure in casual conversation tara probably let it slip that there was this goofball that was dressing up in three-piece suits that was you know asking her out so anyway but let's get back to old douchebag now douchebag was not invited to attend her birthday celebration at the bar that her friends were throwing for her he did attend a housewarming party for a friend that weekend while there, people would comment that he was acting, quote, odd. When he returned to work, colleagues noticed some deep scratches that looked real fresh on his neck. Yeah, you might want to look into that. Yeah. Now, when her case was discussed at the law firm, old David Douchebag would always state, quote, her dad did it. And he's not referring to... Lindsay Baker, but to Tara's actual biological father, Mr. Barker. Now, David Douchebag would claim that Tara had received an upsetting phone call from her biological dad about changing her name back to Barker. Now, this seems like a stretch because the, her biological dad had been nowhere to be seen most of her life. I mean, that's, it's a stretch for me to believe that this actually happened. He, he could have contacted her. I'm not saying that he could not have contacted her. I just don't see him trying to raise three yards of hell for an almost 24-year-old woman who has grown up for 14 years of her life as a baker and had a man that treated her as his own to just switch back her name. Is that worth killing? That's what I'm saying. That's It, it just makes no sense. People have killed for less, but still. That's true. Everyone thinks old douchebag was trying to deflect. In the weeks following Tara's murder, he was 
very withdrawn at the office and became defensive when anyone would bring up Tara's murder. Colleagues would state that during those weeks, he would be seen sitting at his desk with his face buried in his hands. Old Dave the douchebag would eventually quit the law firm and move away from Athens within a couple of years. Hmm. Tara's family and friends tirelessly tried to discover old douchebag's true identity, but they were met with the threats of a lawsuit by the firm that he was previously employed by. What? Yeah, so this old boy had pictures of people with goats or something, man. I don't know. They wouldn't even give his name? No, to this day, his name is not known. And neither is old Dapper Don, or Dapper Dan, however you want to look at it. It's This is the oddest case when it comes to suspects, man. No one has been named. I don't, I just... God, that is, I mean, that is very weird that they wouldn't even... The you could firm even, wouldn't disclose his name. Why? I don't know. Especially if he left them high and dry. If he left them, if he left me high and dry in the wake of a murder of a court reporter that I was employing at that firm, I would burn that bridge to the ground. Absolutely. So Tara's family and friends again are at square one, but in 2010, or as the young hipsters say, 2010, there seemed to be a break in the case. A maintenance man that had previously done work on Terrace home was seen entering Terrace Street the morning of the murder. You may be asking yourself, how the hell did you come up with this? Well, this was one of these little, like, just shit-ass luck moments where one of the local news teams were in her neighborhood filming, I guess, B-roll or some kind of park thing or something, Anyway, they actually capture this man in the background, and he is seen pacing, appearing stressed with his arms folded, wringing his hands. Now, this would explain the fact that there was no forced entry into Tara's home. He would have been someone that Tara knew. Shockingly, the man attempted to commit suicide just three weeks after Tara's murder. When asked why he tried to end his life, he explained that it was because his girlfriend had broken up with him. Sidebar, we've talked about this before. I love my wife to death. But that she ain't worth me <laughs> eating a bullet. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. I like myself. I like myself a lot. I'm not ending it just because she says we're done. Yeah, no doubt. But anyway, moving along. Sidebar over. Now, while he was, the maintenance man, a petty small-time drug dealer around campus, he would have only had a casual encounter with Tara when he worked on her home, and that would have been a maximum of maybe a couple of times within her and Ashley staying at that apartment or home. or It's referred to as a bungalow, a townhome, but the pictures that you see online is it's an actual brick-and-mortar house. So, I don't know. However you want to look at it. But back to the maintenance guy. It said that within a few days after the murder, he was seen at a house party trying to sell a laptop. I've been to a lot of house parties in college. I've never seen anyone try to sell me some electronics. Some, it's a bad place to make a sale. Yeah, some Colombian Bam Bam, maybe. But no electronics. And let me explain something to you. If you are at a party out there and someone's trying to sell you some electronics at a party and you're drunk or high or skating around like you don't have a care in the world 
it's probably not legit. Call me crazy, but there still seems to be no clear motive if the maintenance man is the culprit. Now, Tara's family has made sure that her story is still newsworthy in and around Athens. They have established a scholarship in Tara's name, and the university awarded Tara her law degree posthumously. Some have theorized that Athens-Clark County is not trying hard enough to solve the case by sitting on all of the clues surrounding her murder. Clearly, their plan is not fucking working because the case is 21 years old. We do not know if authorities subpoenaed her emails or her cell phone records or her landline records. And it may be as simple as the authorities know who committed the crime, but have no direct evidence to tie the suspect to the case. And there's a lot of those out there. I mean, there's detectives that will tell you off the record, hey, I know this son of a bitch did it. I just can't prove it. And I'm not going to screw up and give him a get out of jail free card. We get one shot at this. This would also lead you to believe that there was not any DNA evidence collected at the scene. Because if there had been, you could have gotten a warrant for old Dapper Dan's, David Douchebag's, and the unknown maintenance man's DNA. And I'll go one even further. The maintenance man would have been real easy because I'm sure he had to take a drug test working at the university. I don't know, though, because hell, he's a small-time drug dealer, so who knows? He may not be sampling his own product, though. Well, when it comes to the maintenance man, I mean, he could have been seeing her every single day and just became obsessed with her. I mean, it's not stuff like that's happened before. You say that, I mean... Oh, no, no, no. I totally agree because I think that has a lot of legs to it because it's almost one of those infatuation moments where she just doesn't realize I'm I'm here. I need to make myself known. And then when she's been flirting me, with me, when I go and I uh, work on her home, she offered me lemonade or she offered me some bottled water because it was hot outside. No, she's just yeah, trying to be nice. Yeah. It takes, he takes it too far, gets obsessed with herself and yeah. Yeah. Makes a whole thing in his mind about what's going on. Yes. There's and a lot. She, of, she wasn't about that life. There's a lot of closets and bedrooms that have pictures on the wall that women will never know that there are the number one aspect in a man's life. Yeah, no doubt. Now, while it is possible that one of the three men we have discussed is the perpetrator, it is also possible that this was just a random crime, which makes it even more terrifying. And Definitely. the reason, the reason I bring this up is taking consideration the case of Brittany Drexel she was rumored to have been trafficked and people had come forward stating that they had seen her at parties weeks after her disappearance. When in reality, it was a local creep that saw her walking by on the side of the road on a sidewalk, pulled over, snatched her up, assaulted her, killed her and buried her in an unmarked grave. Now, Lindsay Baker made it a point and that's Tara's, I guess you could say stepdad, adopted father, whatever. I just say is her father because he raised her. He made it a point to keep Tara's memory alive. He would travel to the arch at the University of Georgia and place a wreath with Tara's photo in the middle and place it in the center of the stairs every year on the anniversary of her death. Unfortunately, Lindsay passed away after suffering a stroke in 2018 without ever knowing what happened to Tara. Now, if you are interested in this case, please check out the podcast Classic City Crime. They have a whole season dedicated to Tara. I think it's something like 
it's either eight or 18 episodes. They, and I know the episodes are like 30 to 40 minutes, but they do a deep dive and they are in Athens. So they are able to actually interview a lot of people. We just did not have the means to interview. You know that there's a whole lot of crime in one city. If there's a whole podcast dedicated to it. Yes. I'm sure there's one dedicated to new Orleans. Good God. Yeah. You know, there has to be now. Special, special thanks to Megan True Crime and her YouTube video on this case. She was the main source that I used for most of my research. She is very funny, very, very good looking, and her Scottish accent is like butter. Butter. And she follows us on social media, and she binges all of our episodes, she says. So I I keep telling myself that's true. Nice. So if you have any information regarding this case, please call the athens Clark County Police Department at 706-613-3337 or the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, Athens Regional Office at 706-542-7901. When it comes to this case and my opinion, I'm leaning towards someone other than the douchebag in Dapper Dan. You think? I am just because now I know that there's a cut on that old boy's hand. Then old law buddy doesn't come to work. He's got scratches on his neck, but from what and I can then moves though. And then he moves away, gets defensive. He, I mean, mm-hmm. he's up there. Don't get me wrong. Those are my top two, but I don't, they're in the top three. My number one, unfortunately is I think she was nice to someone and they saw an opportunity or she exited the house. There was like a, like a ruse or something. And when she realizes, oh, you're the guy from, say, the grocery store, it was too late and they forced her back in. If it comes out tomorrow that it was Dapper Dan or David Douchebag, then, you know, I'll eat crow. Now, the scratches on his neck, the only way that I would disregard that is it was rumored that him and his wife had a very volatile relationship. She was a career woman too. I think it would have been one of those messy, messy ass divorces where she probably would have taken him to the cleaners and got the kids, but she was established in her career and could have made it on her own. And I don't know why she was putting up with his infidelity, but I mean, unfortunately short of the Athens Clark County police or the GBI releasing a lot of evidence to help narrow the suspect pool down, unfortunately, I don't think this case is going to be solved, man. Well, I mean, after 21 years, I mean, there's got to be, I mean, there's, without somebody coming forward, there's, I mean, come on. How, many, how much more evidence can they review? How much more evidence can they, I mean, I guess with the new technology and DNA testing, maybe, but. I don't know. Yeah, without somebody coming forward, I don't think it's going to be solved at all. I think this would take one of those drunken confessions and you may be, you may have been at a party somewhere and around this time and, or a couple of weeks, months, years later, and somebody drunkenly says that they know what happened. If you are in that situation or that did happen to you, pick up the phone and call. It's not going, it's not going to hurt one bit for you to tell what you heard. There is a lot of retired detectives from Athens, Clark County that have stated that this one haunts them and there are some new detectives on the case. I cannot remember the detective's name. She was given this case, I want to say in 2019 
or 2020, but she has had some kind of major medical situation happen and she's out of commission. But another man has, another detective has stepped in and they are retracing every step that they can as it pertains to this case. While I don't think they did what they were supposed to when the case started, I don't necessarily believe that it was nefarious in nature. I think this is a case of a little police department that got in way over their heads way too quick and realized that either they needed to compartmentalize all this stuff or they would face the backlash. My only yeah, argument, I mean, still the fact that they wouldn't reach out for help. I mean, if, if what you're saying is true, they should have reached out for help. That's my biggest argument against that is swallow your pride, find this girl's killer, give these, her at least her mother and her sister and brothers some closure and do what's right. Unfortunately, this is just a sad, sad case. Uh, there was some other th- aspects of this that was kind of disproven, and I didn't include it in my notes, but there was a couple of other murders around Athens within about a three to five year period where... The bodies were set on fire. They thought that there was a serial killer. Uh, They chased down those leads, and it didn't seem that it was that situation. If you happen to use the Wayback Machine, you can actually find off of Reddit, her family started a website. I think it's called TaraBaker.com. But if you type that in now, you can't find it. You have to go through the Wayback Machine to get it. And they had done a great thing of they – now, it's – it's an early, I mean, early 2000s website, purple and yellow writing and stuff like that. But they had uh, a memorial page and anyone that knew Tara could get on there and talk about their dealings with her, how she touched their lives. And it's, I mean, you want to you wanna gut check on how many lives this young lady touched, go to that website and start reading those. She was very well liked, very well liked. So let's get into recommendations. I'm going to recommend a wrestling podcast if you are a wrestling fan. It's called Foley is Pod. It's Mick Foley's new podcast. Sweet. He is he's amazing. I love that guy. He's one of the most humble and charitable men that have ever went through the wrestling business, and he's by far my favorite. So I'm going to give him a little shout-out just in case you didn't know. Somehow we have caught fire again in the great state of Arkansas. And they love us there. We got to go there, man. I know you've been duck hunting, but we got to go like on a promotional tour. (laughs) I'm all for it. (laughs) Uh, We just need to find someone to sponsor it. The Billie Jean Phillips case, Rebecca's case, and a couple of other ones that we've touched on from Arkansas have kind of started some new listeners started finding it. I've got some uh, emails on it. Our good friend of the podcast, Chuck Ball, has tried to uh, get some people to look into Billie Jean's case. Now, Sheriff Ralph Baker has been dead for over 20 years. I want to say over 25 years. And Chuck said that you cannot get anyone to talk about that man at all. Wow. And, you know, he must have ruled with an iron fist. It's like, seriously, he was the boss hog of that place. If you get a chance, and it's not a very long read, if you can... Uh, when money grew on trees explains how his overreach in that county was and actually how he carried an iron fist throughout the state. I don't know why. I don't know how it is just, I mean, you talk about an octopus situation. If 
you could ever get someone to talk to you, he may have more tentacles than the octopus that we did with Danny Castellaro. I mean, if you can, if you can think about something nefarious that went down in the state of Arkansas, there's a rumor out there that old Sheriff Baker had his hands in it. it as far as Clinton's, Whitewater, Mina, all of that stuff, man, it's it's crazy. Nathan Bell had reached out to us. Uh, we had kind of talked via email about Sheriff Baker and that the book When Money Grew on Trees. Like I said, Chuck's talking about it. If you haven't listened to our Arkansas cases, go back. Uh, I believe we did Billy Jean before we did um, Rebecca. What was the one? Yeah, we did that one first. What was the one where the girl fell? That was the next one I was going to tell you, uh, recommend, but I cannot remember the name of it. But I, oh, come on. I think it's Helen Gone Season 1, is it not? Or is that Helen Gone Season 2? No, she didn't do that one. Yeah, she did. She did too, because remember, we were going to do that, and I'm listening to Rebecca's case, and I'm like, dude, they ain't talk nothing about whatever this girl is. And you're like, no, dumbass, that's not it. It was, uh, God, what was her name? If we pause it, I'll look it up. All right, so let's look at uh, season one was, oh, hell. No, season, I apologize. Season one of Helen Gone was Rebecca's case. Season two was Janie's case. I can't think of Janie's last name. Janie Ward. Janie Ward, yes, Janie Ward. Yeah, we were going to do Rebecca's case, and I started listening to Janie's case, so it may go... Billy Jean, Rebecca, and then Janie. But those Janie's three, the one that fell off the porch, right? Yes. Yeah. And some dumbass put rubbing alcohol in the hunch bunch. Yeah. Yeah. That's very smart. Yeah, always. If you don't think we're telling you the truth about that, listen to the episode. We dive deep into the, what kind of raging dumbass that took. Well, I mean, it's alcohol, man. It's going to be strong. By God, we're going to soak fruit in it. <laughs> what could go wrong? What, what could, could possibly, possibly go wrong with isopropyl alcohol <laughs> in a hunch punch? Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, you got anything else? <laughs> you know I don't. Deuces. <laughs>